What's up, church family and friends? Si no los conocemos, mi nombre es Carlos. My name is Carlos, and I am happy to be speaking to you today about being happy. How can I not be? You know, in Spanish, there's this popular saying that says, Estoy feliz como una lombriz. I'm going to be honest. Don't quite understand what it means, but it rhymes, so it's cool. But hey, I don't think we get too picky when it comes to achieving happiness. Am I right? I mean, there's another English saying that goes like this. Whatever makes you happy. Speaking about what makes you happy. What makes you happy? Really? I want to know. Take a moment, throw it in the comments. Would love to read that. While you're doing that, can I just give you a few of mine? These are the things that make me happy in no particular order. When I think about being happy, I think of 67 degrees and sunny with a good book and my toes in some soft sand. When I think of being happy, I think of Steph Curry hitting the game-winning three at the buzzard, game seven, in the Western Conference Finals. It doesn't matter who the opponent is, Lakers or Blazers, let's go Dub Nation. Hey, if that offends you, read Exodus 15.3. It says the Lord is a warrior. When I think of happiness, I think about un desayuno típico. I'm talking frijoles fritos, con queso seco, un poco de crema, two eggs, easy side up, con platanos, some handmade tortillas, of course, con el cafecito, pero calientito. Translation, I think about a bomb Salvadorian breakfast. That truly makes me happy. You know, when I think about happiness, I think about just uh, the little eye smiles that Charlie is starting to give mom and I as we just stare into each other's faces and it just seems like time is like frozen. When I think of happiness, I think about our wedding day, you know, slow dancing with my bride, knowing that we get to spend the rest of our life together because she agreed if she ever wanted to leave me, she has to take me with her. You signed the paperwork, Elsian. <laughs> Friends, what makes you happy? Can't wait to read your comments. So here's the thing, I gotta be honest. As I went through the list, uh, you're gonna notice there was not one beatitude. So you see, what we're doing here at Evergreen is we're going through Matthew 5, and we're looking at this famous introduction to Jesus' teaching where he's describing the happy person. In fact, Jesus gives eight ways to be happy. You know, most Bibles, when you read them, they use the word bless, but the original word in that teaching is makairos. There's your one Greek word for the day, don't expect any more. This word makairos can also be translated as happy. So, what does the good doctor have for, to prescribe happiness for us today? Let's read in Matthew 5, 7 together. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Mercy? Did my man just say mercy? If I was in the crowd listening to that te teaching, I would have probably choked on some hummus. What does mercy have to do with happiness? Seriously, I'm curious. Um, I, 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 did anyone in the comments today as you're watching, did anyone mention mercy? If you did, you are a far, far better saint than me. Let me read that again. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Mercy and happiness, I, I, you know, that just doesn't seem 
to make a natural fit. Like, you know, it's like the first time I went to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles in Hollywood. You see, I didn't think fried chicken and waffles belonged on the same plate. Boy, was I wrong. Hey, for those of you Pacific Northwesterners, you don't have to go all the way to LA to get a good plate of chicken and waffles. Pine State Biscuits in Portland. Hey, I'm getting a little distracted here. Focus, Carlos, focus. So here's the question that we're asking. What does mercy have to do with happiness? This is our task today. Will you think with me about this? I think we should start by defining mercy because if you're like me, the only time you used the word mercy growing up was when your brother had you with his wrist going back on your forearms, right? And you're like crying out, mercy! Now, just by simply looking up the original language of merciful and mercy, we can actually uh, find some pretty simple translations. Uh, I lied to you. We've got a little more Greek ahead of us here. So here's the, here's the translation. The word merciful, the original word is elimon, and it can translate as kind or compassionate. Mercy, elio, could be translated to be kind. So, let's try a few paraphrases. Happy are the compassionate, for they will receive compassion. Happy are the kind, for they will receive kindness. But if you think about the modern uses of the word mercy, you're probably going to fall into a definition that has to do more with the act of withholding punishment or consequences. Here's what I want to do. I don't want to use any of those definitions today. For today, I want us to think of mercy simply as this. Getting what you need, not what you deserve. Isn't that the essence of mercy? It's giving people what they need, not what they deserve. You know, that definition makes me think of a few times that's happened in my life when I've experienced mercy. Like the time that uh, my senior year, I was... I was clinically depressed. I was severely depressed. And I actually opened up that week to one of my professors right before taking a, a midterm that I know I bombed. I mean, I know I got, my, my, my answers were not logical. My mind was just unfortunately not in the right place. But when I got the test results back, I had an A plus. And I knew that that professor didn't give me what I deserved, but he gave me something that I needed in that season. Here's the bottom line. We will be happier when we give others what they need, not what they deserve. We will be happier when we live lives full of mercy. According to Jesus, mercy is a pathway to happiness. Mercy then must be better understood. So let's explore mercy. Mercy is a big deal in the Bible, primarily because of this. Merciful is a defining characteristic of God, that God chooses to reveal himself as. Think about this. In the Exodus story, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, and he on, only to see the people had built a golden image that they worshipped. Well, that kind of messed things up, right? So Moses has to go back, and he faces God, and this is how God describes himself to Moses in Exodus 34. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in faithfulness and truth. Exodus 34, 6. 
You see, this self-description of God as merciful, it's echoed in subsequent places in the Bible, like in the book of Psalms, like in Psalm 86.15. But you, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in mercy and truth. You know, God's reputation for being merciful was was also well-known by the Old Testament prophets. I mean, consider Jonah, how he tried to escape the presence of God because he knew God was merciful and that he would extend mercy to the people of Nineveh, which Jonah wanted to see punished. I mean, he admits this in Jonah 4.2. Then he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, in anticipation of this, I fled to Tarshish, since I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in what? In mercy, and one who relents of disaster. You know, depending on your translation, Jesus ends his teaching in Luke 6.36 with a powerful statement to all his listeners when he says this, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Friends, mercy is a big deal because mercy describes what God is like. So when when Jesus says, happy are the merciful, he's giving us insider information of what God is like. You are acting like the divine when you are living a life of extending mercy. The thing I want to say about mercy, the next thing I want to say about mercy is this. Mercy makes us happy because mercy is good self-care. Think about Proverbs eleven seventeen: The merciful man does himself good, but the cruel man does himself harm. You may have heard that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. Well, mercy seems to be the opposite. It's what we offer when we want to do good to ourselves. You know, one of my favorite quotes of Abraham Lincoln is this one. When I do good, I feel good. When I do bad, I feel bad. That is my religion. I mean, think about it. How do you feel when when you give people not what they deserve, but what they need? Parents, I want to talk to you for a second. How do you feel when you come up with a creative way to discipline your child instead of doing the first thing you feel they deserve. Hey, if my pops did the first thing that he felt I deserve when disciplining me, I wouldn't be standing here speaking to you today. Gracias, papá, por tu misericordia. Thank you, dad, for your mercy. How do you feel when you withhold responding to that nasty comment on social media? Well, I'll tell you how I feel. I feel like Mother Teresa. What does it do for you when you are kind to that impatient driver, when you resist laying on the horn? Mercy, friends, it's good for the soul. It's good self-care. If you want to feel better, what do you think? Who do you think this week in your life needs to experience mercy from you? Another way to think about mercy as self-care is to ask, What happens when we don't extend mercy? Now let's go back to our boy Jonah. How did he end up? Well, if you know the story, the famous prophet prophet ended up depressed and suicidal. I know that's extreme, but it's still worth considering. Mercy makes us happy 
because mercy is good self-care. One more thing. Mercy makes us happy because to live merciful lives, it's God's will for us, friends. Some of the most popular, tattoo-worthy verses in the Bible have to do with mercy. I mean, consider Micah uh, 6.8. He has told you, mortal one, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But what about the prophet Hosea when he records God's desire for you and I? For I desire mercy rather than sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Hosea 6.6. 6. And then in the New Testament, you got the brother uh, of, of Jesus, James, and he's inspired to write the following. He, so, he said, For judgment will be merciless to one who has no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James 2.13. How about when Jesus, he takes on this question by the young lawyer as to who qualifies as one's neighbor in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. We learn that, the, that mercy is the mark of the Good Samaritan. For Jesus, he actually ends his, his response to the young lawyer with his own question. And I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, who, which of these three was being the neighbor? Well, the young man had to answer, the one that showed mercy. Jesus then says, go and do the same. Mercy makes us happy because to live merciful lives is God's will for you and I. So again, Jesus' prescription to happiness is giving mercy because one will obtain mercy. And I want to end with quite a controversial story uh, of a person obtaining mercy. Who's ready for a good Jesus story? Let's read this together. In Matthew 15, 21, 28, it says this, Jesus went on from there and withdrew into a region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he did not answer her with even a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Yet he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, but please help, for even the dogs feed on the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said, O oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed at once. Oh my, I've read this story many times and it still makes me cringe. I mean, did Jesus really just call this woman or compare this woman to a dog? Could you imagine if that would have been said today? Twitter would have had Jesus canceled by midnight. I mean, the media outlets, they would have had a field day. Could you imagine the headlines? Jesus, help me understand what is going on here. Did Jesus, was he having a bad day? Did he just need a, need a Snickers? You know, I'm going to be honest. I probably have more questions than I have answers for you today. But I do have some, some thoughts to offer. First of all, this Canaanite woman, she's seeking to obtain what? Mercy. 
She's looking for, she's desperate for some mercy. For the healing of her daughter equates mercy for her. And she is determined to find that in Jesus. And look at the extent she is willing to go to obtain this precious act of mercy. Let's look at some of the barriers. Number one, her gender. During the time of Jesus, it was well known that a good Jewish man would not be caught talking to a woman that wasn't his wife in public. That alone was scandalous. And it seems like Jesus, for a moment, he's upholding this Jewish gender standard when he chooses to ignore her initial pleas. She knew the gender rules, and she was willing to break them because she wanted to obtain mercy. Barrier number two, her religion. You know, this woman, it says she's a Gentile. She's a non-Jew, and it was well known that good Jews, they don't associate with non-Jews, uh, even to the point where they wouldn't share a meal together. They live separate lives, and many of the religious Jewish elites, they consider Gentiles unclean and just straight-up heathens. Gentiles were religious outsiders. Jesus seems momentarily to be upholding this religious distinction narrative when he responds, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, some may argue that because Jesus came to die for the whole world, but he came specifically to preach repentance first to the Jews, and it wasn't until Paul was given this direct assignment to bring the gospel to the non-Jewish worlds that Jesus was referring to this order of things, right? This order of revelation and this progressive salvation theory that I'm making up right now. I made up that term. But you know what? She doesn't care about any of that. She persists to obtain mercy. Let's look at the last barrier, her race. I mean, she's a Canaanite woman, and she's living in these outer regions of Tyre and Sidon, and, and it's important to know the dog reference. It's a racial insult. Make no mistake about it. It's meant to be offensive. It's degrading. It's, it's the way the Jews at the time would refer to people in this region. Historians say that uh, the people in this regions they were likened to literal roaming wild dogs that were also in the region. So it was common during this time for Jewish people to refer to these racial outsiders as dogs. Why would Jesus say that? Well, there's lots of debate, but I want to offer one, one thought. I believe that what Jesus was doing, he was echoing culture to see if this would hinder her from pursuing uh, the, his, her daughter being healed. Jesus was simply echoing what the culture said about her and her race. And she overcame that. Her need overcame that. Her faith in Jesus being the one to heal her daughter overcame that. Jesus, by holding the mirror of what culture said about her race, was calling her to demonstrate a posture that challenged the racial narrative of her day. She took, the, she took that racial narrative about her and her people, and she actually used that to argue from, from that place. She says, even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. This woman, in her humility, is asking Jesus, but can I at least get the crumbs? That's humility. And if mercy is getting what we don't deserve, it takes humility to obtain mercy.
Bottom line, I believe this woman understood. Based on gender, she was undeserving. Based on religion, she was undeserving. Based on race, she was undeserving. Yet she believed Jesus would not give her what she deserved, but instead what she needed. In other words, Jesus would be merciful. And for that, she was 100% right. Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you desire. Do you think this woman left happy? Mercy, friends, it sees past sex. It sees past race. It sees past religion. Jesus is showing us that anyone who's willing to display mercy, uh, he's, he's, Jesus is showing that he's willing to display mercy to anyone who's willing to come to him in humble faith. He may have made it difficult for her, but I believe Jesus knew all along that her faith would prevail. He was simply drawing it out of her. Friends, I am in awe of this story because of the audacious length this woman went to to obtain mercy. But can we all see that her story is foreshadowing, uh, is a foreshadowing of the audacious faith that Jesus would go to obtain mercy for us? What lengths? I'm talking about God becoming flesh, Jesus being born into a poor family, walking the earth with a band of 12 ordinary men, teaching and demonstrating the good news to at times crowds who would reject him. And for what? With the sole mission of dying for our sins. That's an audacious length. Consider what the words in Philippians 2. Jesus who, as he has already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Friends, Jesus can ask us to live merciful lives because he lived a merciful life when he went to the extent of becoming obedient to the point of death, dying on the cross for our sins to obtain that mercy for us. Friends, let me be clear. In this story of the woman and Jesus, we aren't Jesus in the story. We are that woman. We too are not deserving on our own merits. We aren't deserving based on our race, we aren't deserving based on our class. We aren't deserving based on our orientation. We aren't deserving based on our political party association. There is only one thing that makes us ultimately deserving, and that's because the righteous life of Jesus has been poured over us in spiritual atonement. Our spiritual debt has been paid, folks. And here's what I'm trying to say. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with us, uh, for us, which he loved us even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is the ultimate act of mercy. And this is a free gift. And when we get this, when this really clicks for us, it's hard to withhold mercy from others. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So when we come together in communion, this is what we celebrate. The obtaining of God's mercy on our lives, we remind ourselves of it. And in Jesus, guys, we got more than crumbs, right? When he offered his entire body. And so we come to the communion table and we remind ourselves of, of his body. The bread of life was broken for us. So I invite you right now to go ahead and take the bread in remembrance of him. And then we come to the cup, which symbolizes that blood that was spilled on behalf of, uh, as a spiritual form of payment. And without it, we would still be in need of mercy. But praise be to God that mercy has been given by the shedding of his blood. Let's take the cup together in celebration of that mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy on our lives. Thank you that in it there's a secret to happiness. I pray that we would move forward to discover what that is, to live merciful uh, lives as we obtain and, and embrace the mercy that you've given us. Help us to do that and help us by doing so uh, shine your love and your light for all those here, near, and far. Amen and amen.